0: welcome to everybody hates me let's talk about stigma a podcast hosted by Dr Carmen Logie She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations, and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it?
1: Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. I am super thrilled and excited to introduce Dr. Angelique Jenny, who is an Assistant Professor and the Woods Home Research Chair in Children's Mental Health in the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Calgary. She has more than 20 years experience with child protection, children's mental health, and violence against women. Her research looks at how we understand and respond to violence in families. And I know Angelique since 2006, 14 years, because we did our PhDs together. So welcome, Angelique. We survived it, Dr. Logie. (laughs) 14 years ago. Isn't that a bit shocking? (laughs) I think next year we should do something for our 15-year anniversary of of starting the PhD program. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so
0: much for having me. This is really exciting.
1: And I'm like also excited that you are at the University of Calgary because I spent a year there and it is so beautiful. Although I do know you are at an incredibly beautiful place in Ontario right now due to COVID. But yay you for being in in a beautiful place by the mountains.
0: Yes. I remember the two of us talking before I went out there and... And it's so true. I mean, once you live near the mountains, there's, there's no going back. Like, it, it's a spiritual experience in many ways. I love oh, it there. Especially when you can either see the sunset or the sunrise on the mountains.
1: Oh, yeah. It's great. It glows pink. It's so nice. And okay. I got to tell you, I really improved my, my ski game. I moved there too late because I was in my mid-30s when I moved there, and I just couldn't bring myself to, like, throw myself down a mountain on, like, anything, on skis. So I was like, I think I, I missed the boat. I, I should have been younger <laughs> when I was fearless. I was, I was not fearless. I think you have to have some sort of fearlessness to go skiing that I, I don't know, I didn't have. but
0: I took lessons. <laughs>
1: That's a smart thing to do. Okay, I want you to describe to the listeners, if they were in an elevator with you, what is your elevator pitch for somebody randomly asking you what you do?
0: Wow. Well, if we're in an elevator together, I suppose we have masks on now, so that makes it even more difficult. (laughs)
1: But um, I I know, right? Imagine that it's pre-COVID or it's easy to understand one another. I don't really know if we have... Maybe you have a visor on, face (laughs)
0: visor. Come on, Carmen. The research just came out that the visors are not as effective. What? I was totally wanting to wear one of those. Oh, man. I've just come out with it. Anyway, if I were in an elevator with you, I'd be talking about that my research really revolves around the experiences of trauma on kids in early childhood and later and how that results in mental health issues and specifically uh, working with families to make things better for kids and families where they've experienced hurting in their relationships.
1: Wow. Is that really is interesting to me and feeds into the next question, which is, I'm going to show up at your cottage right now. It's (laughs) so... It is sunny out there. (laughs) It's really beautiful. I'm going to rock up with my time machine, which has got space for physical distancing. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, Angelique, bring you back to the time and place where you decided you wanted to start working in children's mental health. Where would we go? What, What inspired you on this journey? Oh, wow, Carmen. That's a really... That's a big question. Well, it's, it's also a time machine. So it has to be a time and place.
0: However, I was, I, I it, know where it was. Stopovers. We can have stopovers. No, I, I remember very distinctly. There's a couple of things that happened literally within weeks of each other. The first is that I was taking my very first uh, I was in high school and I was taking my first class. You Remember those days? This is so gendered. We used to have a course called Man in Society. No one would ever say that now.
1: But, I never um, had that course in high school?
0: Yeah, Man no. in Society. Wow. And I had this super feminist prof who was teaching about socialization of gender roles. And uh, I'd never really, and she showed some films, and she talked about the ways in which there are expectations on kids based that starts very early, all related to gender, and how that influences how we find ourselves in the world and how people interact with us. Wow, I was kind of struck by this sudden realization that being a girl, put me at a particular level of risk for violence and harm and thinking about my body and that, that kind of thing. And literally, within a couple of weeks of starting to learn about these, this particular module and going through it, my mind was kind of blown by the whole thing. I picked up the mail one day, bringing it home, and, you know, sort of flipping through it, and there was this kind of poster card, like an advertisement for a woman's shelter, a local woman shelter, and it had a picture, the picture was of a broken doll. It was like a black and white image of a broken doll. And that was my first sort of understanding that violence happened in families, that kids were exposed to things happening in their homes, and it was all related to this idea of gender-based violence for me, that somehow you could get hurt in this life or there were particular risks that you would experience just for being born a girl, for example. And wow. Carmen, you know that from your from your own research. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Literally. Oh, that is so amazing. Where did you go to high school? In... Uh, in Brampton. not not that far away. That is,
1: I mean, is also a powerful story about how a teacher in high school can change the course of your life by opening you up to different elements of the world, you know, and, and, and increasing your understanding. But that's also really interesting that it hit you so much that that experience in high school.
0: That's so cool. And then, you know, that would be my final year of high school or maybe second or yeah, very I was very close to the end. And I went to university. I went to the University of Guelph and what did they offer there? They had they had a women's studies program. I have a minor. I went into psychology at the time, but I minored in women's studies, which was again something that really has informed my trajectory in, in life. That is so cool.
1: I love that I'm learning something new about you, and I'm, I'm sure that over the course of this podcast, I'm going to keep learning more about you. So I remember when we were talking about this podcast, you said to me, Carmen, there is stigma around children's mental health, mm-hmm. and that this is a, a really relevant and important and timely topic with, with regards to stigma, but also something that I think, I don't know, I might just be because it's not my specific area, but most of the research I see on mental health stigma is not on children. It's on adult experiences of mental health stigma. So I'm just wondering if, if you know, if my first stigma question is why does stigma around children's mental health matter? What is the What's the importance of us talking about it?
0: Well, it's actually really important, especially when it comes to kids getting access to service early. We know from the research that even though mental health can be an issue as early as infancy for children, the the majority of mental health for kids that becomes really problematic begins in early adolescence. And we also know that if we get early intervention in time, we can change the trajectory for those kids and their futures. But a lot of those kids don't get that help until they're adults and getting into the adult system. And a lot of that comes from gatekeeping that's done through, I shouldn't say gatekeeping, but I think of parents as gatekeepers. And one of the barriers to getting your kid uh, services is the stigma associated with having a child with mental health issues. And it's probably got a lot of the same connections to the stigma connected to adult mental health issues, which are this idea that, you know, if you have a mental health issue, then you're either born with it, so it's hereditary, and someone in your family gave it to you, or uh, you've had poor parenting, so Mm. if you have a mental health issue, it must be that you had a a difficult upbringing, or your there's something wrong with your parents. So you can imagine all the parents out there that don't particularly want to seek out services, only to hear therapists ask them what it you know what did you do, so to speak. Mm. And I think that again, there's such a lack of public awareness of how mental health can manifest itself, and that is the nice. I don't want to say the nice part about COVID, but there are some silver linings to these cloudy days that we're living in. And one of them is that we're talking about mental health much more openly because there's something about the shared experience of this pandemic that allows everyone to say, you know what? It's not that easy, no matter who you are. Certainly some people are suffering more than others, but there is this universal feeling that we're all in this together, that we're all being impacted at some level And when you can talk about mental health in that way, because guess what? We all have mental health, right? We're all experiencing mental health every day. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. And sometimes it needs intervention. There's been so much talk with kids that they'll grow out of it or, ignore it or wait until later and we wouldn't do this with medical issues right you wouldn't do this if your child fell and and they kept talking about their sore arm you wouldn't say let's just wait and see if that arm doesn't hurt in three weeks you would take them to the doctor right away and have the arm Mm. looked at so so what you're saying
1: is that parents are worried that they themselves are going to be stigmatized Mm -hmm. if they take their kid and say to the doctor, I think my kid is having mental health issues. They might be blamed um, for that. And then I imagine they're also worried that if their kid is labeled as having a mental health issue, that kid might be stigmatized by their friends or their friend's
0: parents or something like that. So... And those fears aren't unfounded. I mean... Mm. You know that as soon as kids come forward or are seen as having issues, much more likely to experience bullying, much more likely to experience Mm. the social isolation. And we know that social isolation is probably the worst thing we can do for kids who are struggling with mental health when social support is so important. So part of the, I want to go into that deeper. But first, I just
1: want to go back a step and say the stereotypes around parents who have a kid who might have mental health issues that you mentioned, or that maybe there's something wrong with them. Maybe it's their, you know, hereditary genetics influence on their kids. So it's their fault or that there's something about their parenting practices. So somehow the parent is worried that they are to blame, but about the kid's stigma that kid is stigmatized, maybe as being dangerous. You know, the, these stereotypes that are dangerous or that it, are contagious. Or what do you think the stigma stereotypes are for the kid who has is diagnosed
0: with the mental health issue? I think they're really similar to adult problems like that. There's a lot of fear around what people don't know and don't understand about mental health. That has carried it. I mean, it's 2020 and and people are still afraid of depression, anxiety. Uh, Mm. We talk about it, but we're afraid to have it. We're afraid someone else is going to have it. I think we're just afraid of what we don't really know and understand. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of myths around uh, mind over matter and that we can make our minds work we can make ourselves oh you just need to be strong enough (laughs) that's right and (laughs) in all my years that's the thing that shocks me most about these kids who they inherently know they know really early that they're not these things aren't supposed to be happening to them for example, even in the literature around kids with psychosis, which is where you have the majority of your literature on mental health stigma. Psychosis, mm-hmm. one of the big, you know, one of the bigger ones as opposed to other issues, that there are kids who when they start to have maybe auditory hallucinations, hear those voices, they know they're not supposed to be hearing voices and they don't tell mm-hmm. anybody right Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be seen as not normal or not okay and again takes a lot longer think about how terrifying a lot of these kids are living with something that is you know a physiological neurological experience that there's quite a bit that could be done for them to alleviate those symptoms Mm -hmm. And let them live the productive lives that they're worried about not being able to live. And I I wanna say, you know, I've just said productive lives. There's no shame in having a mental health issue that doesn't allow you to lead the stereotypical life that we, I think that's another stigma piece, right? That we have this way in which society determines our value and Mm -hmm. value is based on some, seems so often to be based on economic contribution as opposed to all the other ways that children and young adults can make lives better for the people around them right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've done
1: work, you know, with people diagnosed with schizophrenia who um, were living in a group home and, you know, didn't have nine to five jobs, but they had friends, they had families. And I'm not saying that, that anybody with a diagnosis could not have a job, but just the, happened to be the people I was working with. And they definitely contributed to society in different ways, other than necessarily you know the the economic capitalist ways uh, we we might be expected to contribute, but they definitely contributed to the lives of the people around them. So that's really uh, it's it's really interesting to think about how stigma is also wrapped up in
0: capitalism. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> that's that's such an important point. The other piece I want to you know we talk about stigma often from this perspective of the individual and what the individual has to live with. Um, But there's also this concept of family stigma that the family shares the stigma that's attached to some member of their family, right? Mm -hmm. So when something's happening within the family, every member of the family is impacted by that experience. And I'm really interested, uh, I'd love to do some additional research on siblings' experiences of having a sibling with a mental health issue and how that impacts on their lives and uh, in terms of their relationship with their parents, their relationship with their sibling, their relationship with their with their peers as well, right? That there's it's, it's a bigger picture.
1: Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I'm wondering for the next stigma question, could you give us an example, of course, an anonymous, fictitious example of a child who's been diagnosed with. Any kind of mental health issue, or maybe that hasn't been diagnosed, but the family maybe suspects something is going on. Can you kind of walk us through an example of what stigma looks like
0: in the life of a child? Well, the situations that come to mind that have really struck me there's been a couple of incidents in this children's mental health center that I've spent a lot of time working in and around. Is that We often see kids who are maybe hospitalized for self harming behaviors. They're struggling with something quite, it's not uncommon if you're struggling with a mental health issue that maybe you end up hospitalized for some reason. And then maybe you end up in some sort of live in mental health intervention center, right? So you don't go home from the hospital, you go into a care facility where you're getting. 24-hour care and therapeutic intervention. And those kids are often very acutely aware of the fact that they're not living at home. And one of the things that they come into treatment with is the concern and the question, what will I tell people about where I've been? How will I go back to school? How will I let people know where I've been? And and We've heard very intricate stories where children have been told that everyone in their family thinks they were at summer camp for, you know, a couple of months in the summer or that they went on Aww. a vacation and it's a big burden to put on a child to tell a lie like that for the rest of their lives. And the messaging around, if we can't tell the truth about something, that it must be really bad. And we wouldn't do that with any other illness if we had, you wouldn't not tell someone that you were getting cancer treatment or that you were seeing someone for your diabetes every Tuesday night for, you we, know, we, that kind of thing.
1: We have, um, I think HIV is similar in that way. There was a podcast in this um, series um, with Maluba who was born with HIV. And she talked about being a child and being very aware of needing to not disclose her status because of the ways that she would be treated. So I, I agree with you in that many, many health issues are not stigmatized, but it's just interesting when it's not, a, not often visible, maybe it's not visible, then people have to manage who they tell, even from when they're little kids, because they know that's, that they might be treated different.
0: You know, you raise an important issue. And I think this is where I relate this to my work around gender-based violence as well is that part of, I think, what makes these issues stigmatizing is this idea of blame around how you got this issue. So, um, and i that's the piece. We have this, we have victim identities where we victim blame. If this happens to you, then um, you must have done something to get this or someone, you know, the ways in which we have different narratives for different issues so HIV comes with the stigma because there's this idea, right, mm-hmm. that, that, that it doesn't just happen to anyone, which we know isn't true, right? There's all kinds of ways that transmission occurs. And I think it's the same for mental health. It's the same for the kinds of violence that we see that where we want to blame individuals or find them culpable in some way for the harm that there is actually being done to them. By society.
1: And that, and that kid has to make up these really big stories about where they were for the summer. Uh, so it also means they're not getting any sort of social support from their friends, right? They're probably
0: hiding it. Well, oh. and imagine how much we could be offering to society if kids could actually talk to other kids about having these experiences, because we know as adults, when we do this research and we ask around that lots of adults had mental health issues as young adults and didn't tell anyone and didn't get help and just suffered in silence by themselves. It didn't mean they weren't impacted and it didn't mean, it just mean that they uh, they suffered in silence. <sighs> so that is, yeah,
1: it's very, It's making me feel very sad. And so my my last stigma question, which will make us all feel more hopeful, hopefully, (laughs) is what can we do about it, all of us? Like what can a person walking their dog, listening to this
0: podcast, driving in the car, how can we be part of the solution? Well, you know, I'm going to sound exactly like a social worker when I say we just need to talk more. We need to talk more and be more accepting. It's the way in which how do I put this? How have most things been demystified in the world? They, through contact and people's experiences, right? So if I know someone with a mental health issue or I work with someone with a mental health issue or I've talked to someone, that's not going to be so scary to me. I have a real life connection to that person And if we spoke about it more often and more freely and openly, we would realize just how common it is and it would hopefully lose some of that stigma. Mm -hmm. When I, about stigma and the ways in which individuals cope with it, what do they do, Carmen? They try to find a sense of belonging. So they join support groups with other people that are just like them, right? Uh, We want a sense of belonging. And, it's sad that we might have to go and find ourselves surrounded by others like us instead of, I, there's another kid that uh, I remember the story being told about, but a lot of the worries that this kid had was about interacting with, and I'm using quotes, in air quotes here that you can't see because we're on a podcast, but interacting with the normals was something mm, that the wow. kid was really afraid to do, right? And meeting each other, even in intervention facilities, can be really validating for a kid. I'm not alone. I'm not the only person this happened to. And one of the messages I'd love to give to kids and parents out there is a lot of these experiences and feelings that kids are having is completely normal given whatever is going on in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. If, If you actually sat down and figured out how all of these components manifested themselves into whatever symptom the child is experiencing, you would not be surprised that they weren't able to sleep or that they were feeling anxious or that they were sad sometimes. Those would seem like perfectly normal responses to some of the things that kids have experienced in their lives. And I wish we could talk more. I wish we could make it a bit more normal, I guess.
1: And, and I I love that. And I think that it might start with us, right? Like if mm-hmm. we feel like we can talk about our own feelings and be vulnerable and talk about if we're struggling or if we've struggled with mental health issues, then that can just help to make it more of a normal conversation. And then maybe we won't have a problem talking to children, you know? It was funny. It was one of the podcasts someone was saying about racism, and uh, Dr. Nadine Nakamura was on uh, an earlier podcast. She said, well, it's hard to have anti-racism conversations with your children if you don't even know how to talk about it like with yourself and your own friends you need to kind of start with you and and Mm in dealing with your own issues talking about a topic and then you can then talk about it with with a child
0: you know so true we have to really be comfortable in our own skin right
1: yeah and then we could if we're kind of connected to our own feelings then it's you know easier to to sit with challenging feelings or emotions or mental health challenges with, with with other other people do you remember that movie
0: what was it inside out yes <laughs> a beautiful I beautiful movie use it all the time that. to help kids and their parents talk about complicated feelings inside i right? loved it so much i thought it was Awesome. You know, one of my favorite parts of that movie is when they realize that sadness is just as important as being happy. Ah, oh, I need to watch it again. I watched it once. And I was like, wow,
1: that was so deep. It was mm-hmm. so profound. I love children's movies, actually. I love them. I feel <laughs> like they are so much more interesting to me <laughs> like Coco like there's Moana there's been so many great children's movies I feel like they get that message across you know the inside out one really in and in a really interesting way so
0: yeah it's so interesting you, you you watch that with with the kids that's so cool it's a really really effective way of talking about how complicated it is inside your head and yeah. in your heart right ah and a- so many kids get an early message that natural feelings, like for example, being mad. So many kids learn that being mad is bad, right? Mm-hmm. That that all we want are your good feelings. All we want are your, is your good behavior and your good feelings, and and kids are often rejected for having those negative emotions like anger and sadness. But, like the inside out movie shows, anger and sadness are super important. They help us understand when we 're when we 're in danger right of, mm-hmm. of being hurt or harmed. They keep us introspective they keep us recognizing what 's going on around us. Those feelings tell us when we need something to uh, to make ourselves feel better it 's the hallmark of resilience really to have all of those range of emotions, and be able to express and understand them, to use those feelings to um, to know ourselves
1: you 're so inspiring. I love your work, and I love how you think, and I love how you integrate all your social work practice with your research it 's just so cool so i am we're gonna go to the wild card unless there's some wild card (laughs) there's i got some wild card questions for you okay any is there anything else you wanted to tell the listeners i know you've you've said so much is there any last kind of stigma things you want to say i'm too excited about the wild card let's bring, bring it on yeah this is this is my favorite part. Um, okay, first wild card question is what are you binging on Netflix right now or Amazon or any kind of TV movie thing?
0: Oh my goodness, this is where I completely have to like come clean as a true academic and uh, I can't tell you the last time I was on Netflix.
1: Oh my gosh. You're so, are you reading? Like, what do you do? Are you just
0: swimming in the lake? No.
1: <laughs> you're so good.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, I find, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't find I can lose myself in Netflix the way others do. That hasn't been my, uh, that hasn't been my escape. I'm, I still go to fiction and, as my, I think it's the only thing that turns my brain off is, is reading
1: Okay, what's the what's the last good
0: book you read? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it went back in time, and uh, and I read I reread The Handmaid's Tale so that Ooh, I could wow. read the Testaments again, and just again reminded you know Margaret Atwood is truly um, she's just brilliant she's a brilliant author, and those are the things that inspire me too when you read about the way that people's minds work in order to tell a fantastic story. That's that's quite a gift.
1: I have never read that book. I have to read books. I, I'm actually reading nonfiction books. I actually started like a global women's nonfiction book club. Oh, neat. That's <laughs> neat. I, Yeah, so we read *Pandemic* by Sonia Shaw, and then we just read *A Paradise Built in Hell*, Um, and now the next one is Dr. Seema Yasmin's uh, *The Inpatient*, Dr. Lang. So we're so I'm also trying to do books, but we're doing nonfiction. So maybe one day we'll do will do fiction, but I I like happy endings and I don't feel like The Handmaid's Tale has a happy ending, so I'm not
0: sure. (laughs) No, there are no, it's very hard to find a happy ending in, uh, it's true, it's true, (laughs) you know, I don't find happy endings on Netflix either. That's
1: true. I mean we watch Queer Eye and Chitch Creek. Oh, so and we watch funny like things. RuPaul. I <laughs> so,
0: I, ad, I admit that the last thing that was we were watching as a family how's this for a family activity? We're watching um, I can't think of the name of it, but it of course the Jeffrey Epstein story. Oh God! you, I know. you are air depressing things. <laughs> I, I, I can't stop myself. But you know, but I have to say, like I, I point out, I'm pointing out to the kids all the time. Do you see what these girls are doing? These girls are healing themselves by telling their story, and it wow. doesn't matter that no one believes them. They are—they're someone's watching this, and there's a girl somewhere watching that girl tell her story, and she's saying, "Hey, maybe I can tell someone, and this will stop happening to me too." Wow. So so you might think that's, I guess, because I've been in this work as long as I have, I see stuff like that, and I get hopeful and excited, and I say, look at the healing that's happening. Wow. Uh, You know, I do also get angry and say, good, you know, it's unbelievable that it went on for as long as it did, And, and when you talk about capitalism, it's really about privilege and power and the way in which money can allow people to harm people. Mm, for very long periods of time. But anyway. Sorry, we're supposed to be ending on oh, something hopeful. Yeah, you better okay, bring out another card. Right, yeah.
1: I have two more quick wild cards. <laughs> Second wild card is you get to go, imagine there's no COVID, you okay. anywhere in the world mm-hmm. with anybody you want mm-hmm. for a cocktail or for dinner. Who do you go with and where do you go? No COVID or time restrictions. It could be person living or dead. It could be anywhere in the world.
0: Oh, that's interesting, because, you know, my first uh, geek thought was, oh, well, I'd want to go with my partner, too, <laughs> but but if it's anyone in the world for just this one time, because uh, I know my partner will be around, I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to, like, I'd like to hang out with Obama. Oh, my gosh. Somebody
1: else said that, too. That's amazing. I'm trying to get Obama to come on this podcast. Obama. You have now been called out on two podcasts as the dream dinner guest, so please consider the podcast.
0: Where would you and Obama go? And well, Obama? probably probably that would be up to him and his people. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the thing about Obama is he can get into any place, anywhere, so probably I would have to think about some place that I've always wanted to go that's exclusive and you can't get in unless you're you know, with a former president and place <laughs> <laughs> come to mind, like Hawaii okay. or I don't know. Oh, I thought you meant like where to have, you know, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking like French laundry in California or one of those exclusive Ooh. New York cocktail bars that you can only get in with a, with a password. Oh, right? nice. Yeah. Nice. You know, something like that. And why Obama? I just think, well, particularly now I'd like to know, how he's coping Um, Mm. (laughs) because, you know, it must be terrible to watch something that you worked so hard to create being undermined by Mm. somebody else. I think that'd be, I think that'd be very hard to manage. He's a great storyteller, too, and I'm sure you could just listen to him all night. Then, if I had two options, the other one would be Bruce Springsteen, because I've got to tell him that he saved my life when I was a teenager. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff would be important. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Okay, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, call Bruce, Bruce Springsteen out. He might know a few things about uh, stigma and resilience, too. I'm really
1: trying to get there's some some dream guests you know if I maybe ask enough Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek Obama I mean Bruce I can't even say his name I don't know why I can't say his name my parents loved him so I grew up listening so much of I will call him Bruce Bruce if you were to ever be on the podcast my parents would finally listen to it so that would (gasps) be cool (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's what it would take for my parents um, okay. to listen let's, to this. Let's um, call out, let's call out those too. Please. Um, okay. So the very last question, mm-hmm. is there a piece of advice or wisdom that you found helpful that you would like to share with the listeners? In life in general? Yeah. The life, life, whatever it is, just in, in your journey
0: across time. You know, say yes to the things that you aren't sure about, but you know, you just never know where something will take you so you're invited to do something you're asked to and your first thought is no or I'm uncomfortable or I don't want to do that I'm not talking about things that I'm, you know for once I'm not talking about harm to children where, you, where we <laughs> yeah. do we, if you feel something inside isn't right don't say yes that's not what I mean I mean say yes to those things that you're scared of that will probably make you a better person at the end of the day
1: It's like opportunities Um, and adventure,
0: and and take a chance, right? Someone said to me, "You never regret the choices you make. It's the things you don't do that you find yourself thinking about. What if? What what if I had said? I had tried that, right? Totally. Um, I think of the things I've been scared of doing and have done them anyway, and maybe I was still scared. But it did change me and it took me to places and I've met people because I took chances and and good chances. Again, it's kind of vague the way I'm talking. But No, I love it. I, I love it. I always think about had my life been led by my fear, well I'd never go outside, right? And oh, I that's I the truth. I think we have to feel some of that fear and discomfort. And I and I guess I would put this out to the world around if we want to end stigma is we have to be okay with being uncomfortable, so that we can get to that place where things don't scare us so much that we reject them right from the start. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, a fear yeah. is a, fear is a terribly debilitating thing, and there are so many aspects of fear that lead into some of our worst social problems today. You know, racism and sexism and. And homophobia and all of the ways in which uh, xenophobia, it's fear. it's, It's fear of what we don't know or don't understand. And if we spent more time in that place of discomfort, we might be less frightened. And we might live in a better world because of it.
1: I totally agree with you. I was doing a, a presentation to grades seven to tens um, this week. And it was like really scary for me because I, I don't know that many, but I had just been at a cottage with a 13 year old. So I, you know, I had just been chatting with somebody. So I'm envisioning her when I'm doing the talk. And I gave kind of not the same advice, but I, I, I kind of said, read books by people who are different than you, you know, if you look at the podcasts, listeners, if you look at the podcast and said, I'm not interested in that topic, listen to it anyways, because it might help you learn something or you just might keep expanding, you know, your, your mind and, and, and being less afraid of things you don't know. If you just keep, oh, I don't know anything about this, right? I've never tried this food. You know, I think a lot of times it's just, it's being aware of what we, aren't comfortable with and then trying it out you know (laughs) that is such
0: amazing advice I had the same thing I was listening to a podcast last week and and you know how they start the next one right afterwards Mm -hmm. and it was it was about some it was about a fish that had become extinct or whatever I thought okay I'm I'm not going to and then I was like, no, that's not what I'm like. That, that's not who I am, right? Like I don't shut things down. So I listened to this whole thing and learned all about the Alabama Sturgeon of all things. Oh my God, what podcast was it? It's, uh, I listened to like an outdoor magazine, like Explore oh, cool. and Outside magazine. I like to listen to survival stories and there were, and I like to listen to stories about female athletes and, and oh, things cool. like that. And so I was listening to that, but it, it follows... I have another little thing that I always do that people make fun of me for, but I will not stop reading a book no matter how bad it is. And I Oh, finish it.
1: I wish I was like you. I have literally, half of my books are ha- like a third of the way through and I can't <laughs> finish them.
0: Now, trust me, I've read a lot of terrible books and wasted a lot of my time, but sometimes... Sometimes the real gem in a book doesn't come until you're three quarters of the way through. And uh, sometimes even a terrible book has a little something that you can glean from it. So yeah. Again, just you know, and someone worked hard on that. I guess that's the other thing. (laughs) Uh, I love that you're
1: a social worker, even when you're um, you're doing a strength-based perspective of looking to support the writer, even when you don't love the book. I think that's amazing. That is so cool. It could be a major character flaw. I haven't decided yet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see that as a flaw. I think I think that what happens with me is I'll start a book and then I'll get, I'll just put it down for a while and then I'll forget what it was about. Then I'll have to start reading it again. So there's like all these books where I've read like the first third, like multiple times because I just get distracted or I stop reading. (laughs) So I forget and I'm like, I can't start up. I forget where I'm at. But I, you know, my next, for the next book club, I will read the whole book. And Good for you. Good for, Baby steps. Karina. Yeah, the baby pandemic steps. book we read by Sonia Shaw. I felt like the end was the most powerful part of the whole book. Well, so I was see. really happy I finished it. It was basically warning us years in advance that we were going to have another pandemic that was going to be really bad. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this has been foreseen. Anyways, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your work in your research in your wisdom it's been so wonderful to have you on the podcast
0: it's been my absolute pleasure so nice to catch up too and great questions
1: (laughs) (laughs) so everybody you can find the link to dr Angelique jenny's work on right beside where you're downloading the podcast
0: Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. i mm.